0: Deputy Hawk, if I'm ever lost, I hope
1: you're the man they send to find me. May the wind be always at your back.
0: And it's 9.07 p.m.
1: Welcome to another episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. It has been two years since we've started this podcast, Matt and I. This is Ashley Brandt, and joining me as always is Matt Olson.
0: The the smoothest introduction we've ever done.
1: (laughs) Okay, my intro... We've definitely been
0: practicing for the return of Twin Peaks to television. All this off time where we haven't Mm -hmm. released episodes, where Mm -hmm. I've sat on episodes, it's been just... Practicing this this intro that we're known for nailing every time, and we did it. We did it the best we've ever done it. Hey, I'm Matthew Olson. I'm really happy to be recording this episode with my good friend and co-host Ashley Brant. Yay! On part one and part two of Twin Peaks: in the Return. No one seems to be able to agree on that officially or not. So, I think we're I think we're just gonna call it Twin Peaks.
1: I mean, it has a separate IMDb page, so. I don't know what IMDB knows that we don't know.
0: I don't really care for IMDB's whole thing, so tough cookies. <laughs> we could get into that more. Plus we would then we would have to call ourselves Twin Peaks, The Return Peaks, and I don't like that. I don't I don't like that that flow. So
1: That that was never on the table. So glad we've gotten that out of the way.
0: I just want to shout out the fact that you are currently drinking I don't know what from a Double R Diner coffee mug that my mom, Kathy, bought for you while I was visiting uh, the Pacific Northwest recently.
1: I am, yeah. This mug has sat faithfully by my bedside since you gave it to me. I don't trust anyone else in my house to handle it, so it just stays with me at all times.
0: Mine also stays in my room, but I am not drinking from it. I am drinking from a Whataburger pint glass. <laughs> so. Classic.
1: Classic Matt Olson move.
0: Actually, very new. Very new Matt Olsen move. I've never been to a Whataburger.
1: Well, I don't know. It fits with your brand. And this is the banter that we are known for. The witty banter that the listeners tune in for week after week. Updates on our... I can
0: steer us back to Twin Peaks. (laughs) Oh, you have little faith. I think Whataburger sounds like a chain that you might find maybe in South Dakota. (laughs) I've never been to South Dakota, but maybe. Why would I talk about South Dakota with the show that's set in the Pacific Northwest, Ashley.
1: What am I what am I saying? Great question. Just one of the many questions that has been raised by these two episodes that dropped this past Sunday, May 21st on Showtime.
0: Yeah. And if you couldn't tell when I said we're just doing parts 1 and 2 this episode, they did drop 3 and 4. We're going to follow the television release schedule rather than the weird, hey, we know you're excited, so we'll give you a double quadruple dose of Twin Peaks right now off the bat so you'll get our three and four episode next week as for when to expect that we're going to aim to put these out the Wednesdays after the episodes air on Sundays Ashley and I are both busy people we've both got lots of things going on on our lives now specifically like real person jobs if you're an old fan who listened <laughs> to us in the beginning when we were just putting out the earliest episodes and we were both fresh out of college and jobless or close to jobless. Um, I think you were making money. I wasn't.
1: I was making money, but this is I'm on my fourth job since we have started this podcast.
0: I don't know how to count little freelance things, but again, New York City, real job. You're going through some stuff, too. So we're going to aim for Wednesdays. That seems pretty doable for us. But hey, if we are going to slip We're going to try to let you know. There you have it. Let's get into it. Ashley, what do you want to start by talking about?
1: Let's start with some of the more out of place stuff and work our way to the things that we're most excited to talk about and the stuff that we're most familiar with. We are seeing a ton of familiar faces from David Lynch films of past. Most notably, I think, an actor who is featured in Mulholland Drive plays a character called Mr. Todd in Las Vegas. Uh We get one Las Vegas scene, and he is there in this very mysterious role that, to me, was just so reminiscent of Mulholland Drive. I think that these two episodes, more than anything else, remind me of Mulholland Drive. Um, I know David Lynch said that Fire Walk With Me was going to be a good kind of um, refresher prior to the series, but the editing... The shots, the construction. To me, it's just all Mulholland Drive. Did Dwayne Dunham
0: edit Mulholland Drive? Do you know off the top of your head?
1: I don't know off the top of my head, but mm. I could find out.
0: I'm surprised you're mentioning the returning actor. You're talking, of course, about Patrick Fischler, who plays the man who yes. has the premonition outside of the, is it a Winkie's
1: diner? Yes, is the that Winkie's what diner.
0: Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't mention the other thing that Patrick Fishler has been in. I. That's right. It's that classic part of Twin Peaks Peaks where we stop talking about Twin Peaks and we start talking <laughs> about Lost. That's right. Patrick Fischler played the role of Phil on Lost. He was a Dharma Initiative employee, yes. recruit, something like that in uh, what season four or five. Can't believe that you would just steamroll past that.
1: He's also been on Shameless. He's a very good character actor who I would love to see more of. But I can't I cannot see him without thinking about that scene in Mulholland Drive. That is his entire filmography to me. Definitely
0: the most memorable. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely one of those guys who even if you're not aware that he's kind of in the in the Lynch catalog, let's say, you've seen him in stuff or you will recognize him if you don't put it together. Man, he's great. I I I love him. I saw that he was excited on Twitter about actually being able to be in Twin Peaks because He had just been a fan of Lynch's when the original show was on. so
1: That's amazing.
0: He was excited to to work with Mark and David on this. And yeah, just one scene, very reminiscent, that scene in particular of Mulholland Drive. Uh, I expected some kind of, you know, then go through a doorway into some kind of antechamber, not unlike the one that the former man from another place uh, had his role in Mulholland Drive. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to we'll get to that character later on. Also, did you think that the guy who talked to Fischler's character, the guy who talked to Mr. Todd, did, mm-hmm. didn't he look kind of like a doughy version of the guy who plays Iron Fist on Netflix?
1: Okay, I did not watch Iron Fist, but he seemed like a light-haired white man, so yes. Looks like a little doughier. Sure. <laughs> Why not?
0: I'm going to comment a lot on the appearances of the new additions to the cast.
1: Apparently you are. I was going to say that, like, all of the, like, young, fresh-faced people who don't have that, like, 90s, like, standard definition kind of rosy sheen about them that I remember from, like, you know, Audrey and Shelly and Bobby. All of these, like, young, fresh-faced people in HD look somewhat out of place to me just based on, like, my connections to the aesthetic of the previous series but i'm I'm really excited to see where they're going. They introduce so many new characters in these first two episodes,
0: yeah, lots of new characters and also with the h d comment I mean the difference in you know what they're filming with plus the difference in production values I mean you wouldn't have these sets in New York or uh whatever location I don't think it was a set they used for Vegas you wouldn't necessarily have that if this was the 90s and ABC. That's something to to get used to as well. I think your comment about Mulholland Drive maybe being a more fitting entry into what to expect of this new series than, say, Fire Walk With Me is on point just because everything Lynch has done since Twin Peaks ended, since the end of Fire Walk With Me, has been sort of embracing having fewer and fewer shackles based on him i still haven't to this mm-hmm. day watched inland empire because i don't know when in my busy schedule Enjoy. i have three and a half hours but like that's filmed on a handy cam it's filmed only with his closest uh collaborators it's completely improvisational in its structure this show will have mark frost reining him in to some extent and also encouraging other other things it's it's going to be different and that's exactly that's exactly the thing that i saw people weren't expecting if they were running to twitter afterwards and posting like wow that wasn't what i wanted like that wasn't the kind of rosy mix yeah. of whimsy and horror that i expected which was what it had to be on abc and what it had to be with network notes
1: no absolutely i think that this is so much closer to lynchian cinematic work um and i think that you know the freedom of the freedom of like showtime and the budget that comes with it it's really opening up this like subsection of his filmography to kind of take on the the tone and the appearance of a lot of his later works where he was really i think settling into um himself as an auteur in so many ways But I think like most significantly, the editing just feels like Mulholland Drive, the crisscrossing of all of these different storylines that you you kind of can see where they're paralleling each other or intersecting each other. But, you know, maybe the series is never actually going to explicitly arrive at that point. Sure. Um, With Mulholland Drive, there's a lot of setting up of plot lines where it kind of feels like it's building to a point of convergence and then things fall off and they're sort of just atmospheric and strange and kind of for aesthetic purposes. So to me, it kind of, you know, I would hesitate to say that all four of these locations are really going to converge in a coherent way in the next 16 episodes.
0: Yeah, I almost wouldn't expect anything of the sort to, to happen, any sort of real concrete convergence, with the exception... Of Mark having influence. And we should talk briefly because I don't want to get too much into theory crafting. I think at this early mm-hmm. stage, it's pointless and not something I'm interested in, is trying to crack the code. But there are some clear things set up here that are echoes of what we saw set up in The Secret History of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And did you get the editor for Mulholland Drive, by the way? I didn't want to tap a tap yeah, on my keyboard. It was uh,
1: Mary Sweeney, who actually edited an episode of Twin right. Peaks as well as Fire Walk with me. Lost Highway, Straight Story. Uh, So no Dwayne Dunham on Mulholland Drive, but... We would say
0: those are probably the two editors closest to Lynch then.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about Dwayne Dunham. He worked on the original series, so this makes a lot of sense. And Homeward Bound. (laughs) Two greatest hits. Um, But I would be really surprised if, you know, Mary Sweeney wasn't involved in some way, um, as she's, you know, a Lynchian collaborator.
0: If we're going to Sort of use Mulholland Drive, at least for now, as a touchstone in terms of trying to think about the structure here, though. Might I suggest for something we think is going to be raised and then left off, we just call those Billy Ray Cyrus moments?
1: Yes, I strongly agree.
0: (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about something other than Las Vegas since only one scene happens there. I don't want to sound egotistical, but I think we should talk about the Big Apple.
1: Okay. Let's talk about The Big Apple. The connection between the New York scenes and the the rest of the um ep- the series thus far is less clear until you get to the end of episode 2, but it sets up some new fresh-faced characters talking about coffee. There's a weird like glass box that someone's supposed to be watching.
0: That was very lost, and I don't say that as like to set up a bit of us talking about lost all the time, but when I saw the glass box in the machinery, I was like, this is some it's a Dharma Initiative fucking thing. It's you, you press the button. You, yes. Yeah. Every one hundred eight minutes, but instead it's some college kid who's, I guess, named in the episode Sam. I never caught his name, and I watched it twice, mm-hmm. just sitting there watching it, just getting more and more bored. I was like, yeah, where's Desmond? I need this. I need this in my life.
1: <laughs> so Tracy comes and brings him coffee. Tracy is. His- friend she's not allowed to go in she comes the next day there's no security guard to stop her so sam is like great idea come make out on this couch with me in front of this glass case that i'm supposed to be watching that someone allegedly saw something in at one point in time and then they are to bring up lost for the third time beetlejuice 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 (laughs) attacked by a smoke monster seemingly
0: this is really weird. I just heard someone outside my window scream "Walt" after we <laughs> mentioned the show Lost for the third time. It was really weird. I I don't want to just brush past it as a smoke monster, though. I will say the the shock of the reveal was somewhat similar. Uh, what I didn't expect was well, one, it's drawn out, right? These scenes are incredibly drawn out to build the tension Mm -hmm. and part of me was expecting that we wouldn't even see anything appear in the box within this first chunk Uh, and I'm glad that we did get uh, actually two ways of paying that off Mm
1: -hmm. as it turns
0: out. But the first reveal that we get in terms of watching the episode, uh, the box turning black and then the figure appearing, that was that was something entirely new to sort of the aesthetic of Twin Peaks, like that you couldn't really outside of saying like, well, we see things phase in and out of existence, kind of like the Black Lodge. Uh, But that was it, it kind of came out of left field and was the first part watching the episode where I felt truly surprised. Mm hmm. That figure, I got tones at first of it looking sort of like a gray alien. It was kind of an androgynous figure with like what looked like two big eyes.
1: Very X Files, yes.
0: But then you do the the close up as it sort of resolves into shape, and it's like there's just like a. To me, it looked like a big gap in its in its head, just like one huge part missing, and it bursts through. And then like the effect around it too was like sketchy almost like it was like one of David's paintings come to life and maybe I'm saying that Mm because I just saw the Art Life documentary recently which was great I'll just say if you have the opportunity to watch it listeners go watch it but that was something that the show Twin Peaks never pushed that heavily into something that was specifically like David's like painterly style I'd say Mm -hmm. in terms of bringing it to life on the screen and there's another moment later on I would say kind of does the same were you fucking scared as I was when that happened?
1: I I wasn't scared, but it definitely um, reminded me of just, like... Especially when you pull back um, in that scene and you can see kind of the gashes on their bodies. It was just very, like, old-school horror influences. David Lynch is not mincing words, and he can show as much blood and gore as he wants on Showtime.
0: And there's a lot. I, I, I wonder... With how this conversation is going to go moving forward, if the show continues to be as violent as it is in this episode, whether or not it'll be considered too much, I'm not sure entirely. You do see some pretty gruesome stuff. And Ooh, like yeah. a lot of gruesome stuff happens to women in this episode alone. Mm-hmm. So it's also nothing new for Lynch necessarily.
1: No, it's not. It's That is one of the aspects that I think is more fire walk with me Dan Mulholland Drive is the inclusion of violence and violence against women. And it's not just in the New York scenes um, when we see Tracy and Sam get attacked moving into South Dakota, where I think the vast majority of these two episodes take place. This is kind of jumping ahead, but we do see Bad Cooper not only you know engaging in physical acts of violence with other men, but specifically Engaging in acts of violence against um, women who are vulnerable, who are sexualized, who are, you know, laying in bed in lingerie.
0: Yeah. Or just having returned home and then getting brutally gunned down. Um, It's it's a lot to take in. And now we've we've cracked the seal and we have mentioned bad Cooper. And I think now is as good a time as any to say, hey, this this show no matter what was said maybe leading up to the release, has not forgotten, at least entirely, what happened in the first two seasons and in Fire Walk With Me. Least of all, maybe, has it forgotten what happened in Firewalk With Me? We have lots of evidence to say, no, this is a continuation through and through, at least in, as far as David and Mark are concerned in terms of raising plot points.
1: Case in point, Philip Jeffries, mm-hmm. who Bad Cooper calls, and then seems to believe he isn't actually speaking to, but Philip Jeffries is, is David Bowie's character in Firewalk With Me.
0: Yeah, and Jeffries also mentions Garland Briggs, who, as we discussed on our Secret History of Twin Peaks episode, is basically the central character of that book, barring Dougie being the person who does most of the action in the book. He is the... the uh, I forgot. Did they call him the narrator or the I don't know the dossier creator that's Garland and presents that information or so we think at least and to have any suggestion that Cooper's doppelganger bad Cooper Bob shrug shoulders we think that's how this works still Mm -hmm. uh, to look at the doppelganger and say okay this person is committing these heinous acts in Cooper's name now and they're in contact with Jeffries somehow though it also seems like maybe Jeffries had something to do with Daria and Ray the two who are hired to try and kill Cooper Mm -hmm. and that this person has contacted Garland which we know we're not going to see Don Davis in this show they swerved around the problem of Bowie's passing in this episode but just to mention Garland to say that this is a character we need to be concerned about is really interesting at Mm -hmm. least I, I it's a brave choice because I think some people will be upset that these characters will have an impact but not be seen.
1: Yeah, but I I like it. I don't know. It's always hard to kind of make characters fit around these things that happen to actors externally, be it like ill health, death, or just like other filming commitments. But I always personally feel disappointed when a character is written off of the show for a reason other than just... Um, like creative intention. So I'm pretty excited because I love Garland Briggs.
0: Yes. One of my all time favorites as well. And I think that this show is dealing with aging and also death in a really head on conscious way in a way that's more meta than like We'd say it would deal with those themes in the past because it's dealing with it in terms of the cast itself. Yeah. And I was blown away by Katherine uh, Coulson's scenes. I was blown away just to just to see how the cast has aged, and how s- at some points it would seem like, especially you know, comparing Bad Cooper to Cooper in the Lodge,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how Kyle McLaughlin could go from looking visibly more aged to just like a trick of the light or like an angle, and suddenly it was like you were watching a scene that was filmed in 1992. Mm-hmm. felt like to me there were moments where it was like these people have changed a lot and they haven't changed at all uh, mm-hmm. in a way that was like to not be so fanboyish like just really amazing to watch
1: and we see that with um, a lot of the characters as they kind of come together in the town of Twin Peaks itself but I also was enchanted by the appearance of Matthew Lillard who at first I thought was just an old guy that happened to look like Matthew Lillard
0: Nope, it's Matthew Lillard. It's Shaggy from Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo 2 himself, Matthew Lillard, actually doing a really fucking great performance. I know that he's had a whole varied career after those movies, but that's unfortunately always what he's going to be stuck in my head as. Except maybe, maybe this will be the thing that changes it. Maybe this will be the thing that shakes him from being Shaggy in my head.
1: I was just also going to say that some people might know Matthew Lillard from SLC Punk, if they were cool as a teenager.
0: Oh, okay.
1: (laughs) I I literally always forget that he's in SLC Punk. I was like, what has this man been up to between Scooby-Doo and now? And then I saw known for SLC Punk, and I was like, oh, right. He had a career before Scooby-Doo as well.
0: (laughs) Have not seen SLC Punk, but I don't know what's cooler than being a teenager who thinks that the Scooby-Doo movies are funny and bad. So he's playing Bill the the high school principal in sorry, I'm gonna get it wrong. I know I am because I put it wrong.
1: South Dakota.
0: Thank you. I was gonna say Buckman, which is just not right. If you want to talk about something that is quintessentially lynch and really fucking funny, the lead up to the discovery of Ruth's body is exactly that. Um Marjorie Green and the police and the groundskeeper who's nervous that the police have been called on him. That's all great. And if you are a fan of the old show and you can't see the old show in that moment, I don't know where the disconnect is in terms of like, it's this, the rhythms and pacings that you'd also see in Lynch's films, but it's the kind of stuff that you could, Do in the show it's like it's like when the season two opener starts with the the doddering old waiter bringing the milk
1: yes
0: and then of course it's undercut by the gruesome reveal of ruth's body and then you find out that bill's fingerprints are all over that room really quickly things build to the point where you're looking at bill being questioned having an inconsistent story and you're thinking like is this a leland palmer situation right
1: What really like adds to that effect is the fact that Bill Hastings is talking about this dream that he had, that he was in Ruth Davenport Port's apartment, which we know is kind of part of Leland's experience with Bob taking over his consciousness. Um, I do want to point out that there seems to be kind of potentially another plot going on vis-a-vis Bill and his wife Phyllis and their various extramarital affairs. Phyllis doesn't seem too upset that Bill is getting locked up. I will say that. Um, but she is gunned down shortly thereafter by Bad Cooper.
0: Yeah, Phyllis is sleeping with George, who is their mutual lawyer, and I believe was one of the people invited over to their house that night for dinner, which at first seems to be her biggest sticking point until you learn about the extramarital stuff. Uh but also a perfect, perfect twin peaksism, the but they're coming over for dinner later. And she recognizes Bad Cooper, which I think is really important that we don't miss if we're trying to keep tabs on this storyline, right?
1: Right. And Bill Hastings was having an affair with Ruth Davenport, who is the librarian at the school, Um, and he does have a, a gap in his alibi, which is not helping his cause in this plot line as well.
0: I'll say in the investigation, another moment I loved was them finding the chunk of something in the back of Bill's Volvo not just yes. the discovery because it reminded me of blue velvet significantly but the yes. the malfunctioning flashlight was a perfect touch.
1: Oh, that was so Lynch. Yeah. The my flashlight's not working but it's really just strobing this creepy spooky trunk with suspicious fluids all over it. Yeah. Specifically saying my flashlight's broke. <laughs> yes, very Lynch. We haven't really talked a lot about what Bad Cooper is doing and the characters that he is with. They're all new characters. And by the end of, you know, episode two, most of them are dead.
0: Yeah, we start seeing Bad Cooper pull up to Beulah's shack. She seems to run the shop there. And what an array of people. You've got Beulah. You've got Otis, the guy with the handlebar mustache, the two people, one of whom in a wheelchair, just kind of lurking on the other wall of the cabin. And Beulah brings out Daria and Ray, and then later they meet up with Jack, um, who, God, we still haven't even really commented on Kyle's whole appearance when he's being Cooper's doppelganger, but, like, the outfit and then squishing Jack's face when they put the Mercedes in lockup, that whole thing, like, the whole aesthetic of it is just... Slimy doesn't cut it like washed up 80s rocker doesn't cut it. Even commenting on like his hair is long like Bob's is like there's just something so wrong about seeing someone who's also obviously still Cooper somewhere in there somehow Mm -hmm. in terms of the way they carry themselves look so grubby.
1: Yes. He also has like a nice tan. I was noticing as though he's been outside as opposed to good Cooper, who we see has his fair lily white complexion. Um, Mm -hmm. The scene where he's massaging Jack's jaw to kill him, apparently, it's very bizarre. It's one of those Lynch scenes that goes on far too long. You can hear like the wet noise of this man's like mouth moving together. Lynch, I think he's a filmmaker who really incorporates um, mundane things and background noises and kind of like necessary detours that other filmmakers really love to cut out for the sake of time or pacing or their overall aesthetic vision. And it's really unsettling sometimes to see a filmmaker incorporate these kind of boring and gross aspects of like human physical existence um, into these like long kind of meticulous shots.
0: I had to watch the episodes twice and... One of the things that I didn't put together was that Bad Cooper killed Jack. For some reason that slipped past me the first time as I was also sweating bullets the whole time I was watching this, which it didn't help that my projector was balanced on my bed on top of two stacked chairs so it could actually reach the part of my wall that's a acceptable projection surface. It's a whole another thing. Mm-hmm. But I was so tense and caught up in it. It was so helpful to watch it a second time to be able to take notes and take it in. And yeah, it slipped past me that that Jack had been murdered. And it's so much more menacing when you when you get that afterwards. But it was just creepy as it was just like it's the kind of thing where you imagine maybe the actor for Jack was just kind of like massaging his jaw between takes. And Lynch saw that and was like, now I want Kyle to do it (laughs) for a long time.
1: Keep going, Kyle. (laughs) Keep going.
0: I'm still rolling. Yeah, it's it's. Perfect. Uh, So after that, we go to this motel. Ray's nowhere to be seen. He's supposedly been picked up and put in prison for transporting guns across state lines. But Daria's on the phone. Daria's hiding something from Cooper. We get this whole nasty confrontation, which is just so uncomfortable. And I think at two different points, Bad Cooper says to Daria, like, I am going to kill you. And you just know it's going to come. You get the reveal of the ace the ace of spades that bad cooper's carrying we know that he knows he's supposed to be called back to the black lodge all this stuff happens it's the closest thing i think there is to a real cogent exposition dump in the episode in terms of like what the overarching plot is going to be
1: yeah this feels a little robert frost setting up or yeah setting up the ways in which you um the Mark black frost? lodge Sorry. Yeah. What was I thinking? I was thinking of Robert Forrester and then I just rolled with it. This feels very um, Mark Frost in terms of setting up kind of the way in which the Black Lodge functions. Um, And this is also significant because we know that Good Cooper has been told at this point by Laura and the one armed man that he is free to go as soon as Bad Cooper returns. And at first, it kind of seemed like that was maybe going to be um, something difficult. It's still going to be difficult, but then introducing this idea that Bad Cooper has to return, I think adds um, kind of an interesting structure and world building to our growing understanding of the Black Lodge.
0: I did not anticipate in the first two hours of this we would get so much more added to that equation, and we'll get into more of it later, of course. There's a phone call with philip or as it may be not philip and the central use of a computer i mean there was a computer in the old in the old series as well i can't remember exactly when it was but i'm pretty sure that happened right there's something also seeing seeing cell phones yeah there
1: was it was um wyndham earl had the computer
0: right wyndham earl had the computer but cell phones gosh really is 2017 isn't it
1: It's a whole different ballgame now with uh, all this technology running around, although Cooper is still using, honestly, what looks like the oldest computer known to man to download, I don't know, floor plans for the prison that Ray is allegedly in. Um, That whole process was very drawn out, very Lynchian, um, did not look anything like normal computer usage, I'm going to say.
0: I'm also fine with that. I'm totally fine with not, like, hewing closely to like good computer usage conventions if it's i'm here for david lynch and mark frost putting on a show not for like realistic usage of like criminal uh criminal justice like programs and so forth yeah have your fingerprint scan run sorry buck buckhorn buckhorn Got it. In the Buckhorn Police Department. It's not like they're doing Zoom and enhanced stuff. And also, if they did, I wouldn't care. It's Twin Peaks. It's not CSI. It's not purporting to be the most authentic policing we've ever seen.
1: I mean, fair enough. And it seems like Cooper. I mean, this isn't this. It seems to suggest that this is an FBI computer. He seems to have access to an FBI database of some sort. So it's conceivable that Cooper has had this um, computer for some time. And I think it's also significant to note that it's not as though bad Cooper emerged directly from the lodge and kind of went through the final moments of season two, like we saw and then was never heard from again um, because moving into twin peaks and kind of what our old faves are up to the Brennans, Andy and Lucy, Uh, make reference to the fact that they last saw Cooper as they know him um, shortly after Wally was born. Wally is 24 now, um, and he is the child that Lucy was pregnant with at the end of season two. So there's definitely some time between when Cooper emerged from the Black Lodge and when Cooper kind of left Twin Peaks never to be heard from again. And of course, I'm talking about bad Cooper here.
0: Right. Now... I just want to I I do want to stop and note like when I saw Lucy's placard and it said Lucy Brennan, I kind of got a little choked up.
1: I was so happy. I was so afraid that they were going to be broken up for no good reason.
0: It's it's great that they are that they are just still so in love and Gosh, the first scene with Lucy, too, just the guy coming to the uh, sheriff's department about his insurance, wanted to see Sheriff Truman, which we learn there's a little complication there. But Lucy's handling that situation, it was just like, didn't miss a fucking beat. Kimmy didn't miss a beat. The, the writing in that scene was, that was maybe kind of like a safety blanket scene in terms of it felt familiar and good, but also the way of introducing this to Truman's thing, which... I expect is going to be we don't have Aunt Keen, so we're going to see Harry's brother, as suggested, as set up in the Secret History of Twin Peaks, introducing it with like the Lucyism of it all. So good.
1: Yes, no, it that was I think as close to the campy whimsy um, sort of humor that we saw in season two as we're gonna get with these few episodes. It also definitely set up, as we know, Michael Aunt Keen did not participate in the revival, so it's going to set up our new um, sheriff of the town. But most importantly, we saw Deputy Hawk, who is looking like a silver fox, first of all.
0: Yeah, he has joined the ranks of the silver foxes in this show, for sure. He's currently acting as deputy chief. And so here's something I want to just bring up before we forget about it, and I feel compelled to bring it up next episode. We know a little bit from interviews that Mark and David did revisit their plans for season three and kind of dusted those off and changed things where appropriate. And we know that Garland was going to be involved in trying to bring Cooper out of the Black Lodge, the good Cooper that is. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really obvious that some of that has been shifted on to Hawk now as Hawk is Mm -hmm. who the log lady, Margaret Lanterman contacts and Hawk is the one who gets the ball rolling on the Twin Peaks end of things in terms of what are we going to do about Cooper? Cooper is important to what's going on right now. We need to find him either bad or good. I'm sure at this point, Hawk doesn't know there's a difference. I like that decision because I want to see Hawk do things where he's not second fiddle.
1: Yes. No, absolutely. I'm glad to see him get some more screen time, some more direction. I want to hear about Diane Shapiro, Ph.D. Brandeis at some point for sure. It did bother me that when uh, Margaret called Hawk and she said that there was something missing, that it had to do with Cooper, that she said that the way that he would find it would have something to do with his heritage. I think we should stay away from Spooky, made up, quote unquote, Native American mysticism invented by white showrunners on TV in the year of our Lord 2017. If we never touch that again, I will be very happy. And I think I think other people will be as well. That was a misstep on um, the show's part in terms of bringing.
0: I'm going to say that that's maybe I noted that the same as you did. I don't think it was a misstep so much as them saying, hey, remember how. He was the only person who knew what the fuck the Black Lodge was, and he gave that really kind of cringeworthy whole thing. Margaret has to have something to say to him to say, go to Glastonbury Grove without saying, like, hey, just go out to where the Sycamores are. Like, it needs to sound at least somewhat cryptic, and I, I wasn't so much bothered by it as I was pleased that it wasn't going to be another Hawk tells us about the Black Lodge for the uninitiated New Twin Peaks viewers.
1: I mean, sure, I think that there was a different way to write that line where it didn't read the way that I think it did. But regardless, I'm happy to have more of Hawk in my life, more of Andy and Lucy in my life. And they really are front and center um, in both of these episodes. And it's not until the end of episode two that we start to see some of the other um, returning faces. We see.
0: I'm not going to let you skip past our, our dear friend, the good doctor.
1: Oh, no, he's he is there (laughs) at the beginning of episode one, up to some weird shit, as always.
0: Getting a shipment of four shovels at his new trailer in the woods. And can we not forget they're not on our list right now. And I'm shocked that we both in our show notes left them out. The brother's horn, Ashley.
1: (gasps) My goodness.
0: What were we thinking leaving them off this list?
1: When when we saw Jerry Horn and Ben Horn, I was like, Matt is going to be so happy. This is all he wanted coming into this. Jerry Horn has become a typical Pacific Northwest legal marijuana fanatic. I mm-hmm. could go onto the street right now and find you four more Jerry Horns dressed just like that. Talking about their hybrid strains. Mm hmm. Felt very contemporary. It felt very familiar, um, but it was a, it was a really fun scene, and I think it highlighted David Patrick Kelly and his comedic talents quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it was clearly evident. Sort of like the the Lucy scene earlier, like Richard and David like didn't miss a beat there in terms of picking up that sort of back and forth with a small twist on it, which seems to be that whatever's happened in the last twenty five years. And remember, last time we saw Ben Horn, he got smashed into a fireplace by Doc Hayward and was just out. Um, The last time we saw him, he was in rough shape, and he still seems to have decided to grow up a little. At least he's saying that to his very much now way, way immature brother, Jerry.
1: Yes. Um, We're also introduced to Ashley Judd's character, Beverly Page. We don't really get much from her, but she's one of the big names that's attached to the new cast on the show. Um, it seems like the Great Northern is still making a killing out there with its luxury amenity offerings.
0: Well, I mean, Ben's office has been downsides, it seems. Or maybe he just wanted a corner office. Who knows? He maybe moved around. I mean, it around. they
1: they had to put the spa somewhere, you know.
0: Ah, uh, so it's in his old office, you're saying? Yes. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I'll be interested to see, and this kind of ties into the weed thing too. When that came about, not only was it just a perfect thing for Jerry, but I am not one of the people who poo poos the entire Ghostwood development storyline and the mill. Like, I really like that a significant portion of the show is grounded in concerns of a logging town going through changes, the push pull between industry and like leisure. Weed would honestly be the perfect thing to do in terms of refreshing that and introducing a new storyline along those along those lines. It doesn't need to be the adventures of Jerry, the pot smoker, but like it could be Ben is swayed and then starts to revisit his cutthroat ways. Who knows?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited for David Lynch to explore the strange subculture of the legal cannabis industry.
0: Will we see Jerry vape is what I want to know.
1: I think Jerry's going to vape. I think that's for sure. You know, it's been legal in Washington for many years now, so they've had all the time to pass all the necessary legislation to get Jerry up and vaping. Mm-hmm. But some other faves that we see, especially at the end, at the beginning, definitely we were kind of being teased with some storylines that didn't really pick up through the through the rest of the, these two episodes that may or may not kind of be um relevant to kind of the developing major plots here. But by the end of episode two, we are treated to an extremely grace is a brisky moment in which Sarah Palmer is seated alone on her couch watching an incredibly violent and or sexual nature documentary.
0: I believe it's lionesses hunting like buffalo, like or like water buffalo. I'm not like I'm not an animals guy. I didn't spend too much time watching planet earth, but that's what I saw. But like the whole thing, the whole giant TV she's got now and the, the framing of the scene where we're just pulling in closer and closer on Grace of and the mirrors behind her are showing us the action was just incredible. Like that was a scene that worked without words. And that's something that will frustrate people is there are going to be a lot of scenes, whether or not they work, there are going to be a lot of scenes in this show that are going to be without words.
1: Mm-hmm. And the blue light like radiating radiating off of the screen was so moody and so dark. And I think it really carried us into the following scene at the rebranded Roadhouse, potentially.
0: Not rebranded. I mean, it's always been the Bang Bang Bar, but it's called the Roadhouse. I imagine it's still called the Roadhouse. It's gotta be.
1: Where we see our fave shelly um doing some shots with her girls which doing i love tequila shots that was maybe my episode to highlight was shelly doing tequila shots mm-hmm. um that's what i want for her and i hope that she continues to enjoy fine liquor and fun throughout the mm-hmm. rest of this series um and we're also treated to james hurley who is treated um we're treat- <laughs> treated to james hurley who shelly vouches for Shelly says that he's cool. He's always been cool.
0: <laughs> together forever. Yeah, I'm sorry, Shelly. I can't I can't get down with that. He's He looks he looks really good, I'll say. James looks really yeah, good. No,
1: he looks great. Uh
0: we learned that he was uh in a motorcycle accident at some point and he's been a little quiet since then, but also James has always kind of been a little quiet. He walks in with his new younger friend of his who has a British accent. I noticed that. He calls the roadhouse the dog's bollocks, which is, I guess, a good thing. I'm not sure. It's the dog's balls. Also, I just want to say, let's not brush past it. Uh, James is kind of staring at one of Shelly's friends, who's a new addition to the cast. Shelly's got, like, girlfriends. Like, Shelly's got friends other than Norma and also, I'll say, other than Bobby, who's not to be seen.
1: And... Shelly has a daughter.
0: Shelly has a daughter, and she's concerned about who her daughter is dating.
1: I mean, Shelly should rightfully be concerned about any man in Twin Peaks dating anyone in her life.
0: Yeah, she, she, she should know as well as anybody, really, in that town. But also, someone's looking at Shelly across the bar, and who is it? Is Balthazar Getty?
1: Very spooky. Uh What's leather going on? jacket? Kind of looked like Patrick Swayze. That was my first thought. I'm just
0: kind of worried about our, our favorite couple.
1: Is I am, too. Is everything good
0: with Bobby and Shelly?
1: <laughs> if those two aren't endgame, I'm going to be so upset. I would love to see Bobby win her back in a classic Ed and Norma kind of romantic gesture. But if those two aren't together, at the end of this series, I will be heartbroken
0: so heartbroken also can we just say something great here Um, because of this scene we've added tequila uh, doing tequila shots to like the Twin Peaks canon of appropriate appropriate food things so just saying tequila is out there now it's part it's part now
1: fantastic that's what I was looking forward to
0: all right so we've talked about all of the actual physical locations we have to talk about the red room
1: We do. We spend a lot of time in the Red Room in these two episodes. And it is as it always is. There's a lot happening. But the plot is not moving forward necessarily. We do get some appearances from some familiar faces.
0: Yep. Laura Palmer.
1: As well as the giant um, who is credited... It, the character is no longer called the giant in the credits. It's just a series of question marks.
0: Yeah, I want to I want to I wanna touch on that. So like we open the episode with Carol and the giant or question mark, question mark, question mark, sitting across from Cooper. And it's shot in black and white. You can also see by the lamp next to Cooper and the chairs that they're sitting in that this doesn't look like like lodge or red room set decoration we've seen before. And this is the scene where some cryptic words are passed to Cooper, something about a oh, Richard and Linda. And then Cooper kind of is like is torn out of the chair, like, like, like a paper tearing effect. I just want to say my theory is that that is happening in the future, that we will see that scene play out later. It's a
1: good theory. Yeah, that's definitely in the realm of possibilities. You know, what else is in that opening sequence that I loved and that we don't have to talk about too much that mysterious girl running across the courtyard at Twin Peaks High School screaming. Yeah. Yes, I was so excited to see that.
0: Yeah, of all the things, I think if you went back to our pilot episode when we talk about the pilot and <laughs> and we probably fixate on that girl screaming and running across the courtyard so much and the fact that that image was also seized on by Lynch and the editors. It's like so great. It was so gratifying because that was like one of the first, very first things you see. And I was just like, no, I also love that.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And I don't think, I don't think we're ever going to explain it. I don't think that that screaming girl has been recast in the new cast. We're not going to (laughs) hear from her. We don't have to. I love that scene. And I was so glad to see it back.
0: Yeah. Boy, where to begin? I mean, Okay, first thing that comes to mind, let's treat this kind of like free association because, I mean, it's the red room. It's, you know,
1: who knows?
0: Cooper sitting in the chair and the one-armed man repeating lines that the man from another place said before. The, is it future, is it past? Also, he's looking pretty dang great, I will say.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. He aged fantastically for a white person.
0: Mm -hmm. I got the sense... From the scenes with uh, the one-armed man and the man from another place that they it's and it's hard to tell. It's really hard to tell after watching a fire walk with me what their intent is. But here they seemed pretty benevolent towards Cooper.
1: Yes, it seemed like the the one-armed man has kind of always been one of the more benevolent characters associated with the Black Lodge, even when he was kind of out and about. In the world, he kind of aided Cooper's investigation, so it definitely it seems less menacing than the Black Lodge has seemed before.
0: They're not out for Garmambosia this time, at least yet. <laughs> no mention no. made of it, but not yet so Michael Anderson's not in this show, and the the arm has evolved. We learn
1: oof the arm is a a whole thing
0: I want you i want what was your reaction to seeing that?
1: grotesque it's it's weird it's maybe one of the weirder things i've seen in a david lynch movie because it's sort of sort of like sci-fi horror-ish in its construction it's this little um like leafless tree and there's just a mass of flesh on it sort of in the middle of all the branches and it talks and there is a light that kind of emanates from it and we're told it's the arm. It seems to be perhaps related to the one armed man in the arm that he lost. And it's has quite a bit of knowledge to share with Cooper. It has some directives to share with Cooper. The arm is really calling the shots. It seems.
0: Well, you got to be really talky when you're not able to dance anymore and dance across the floor as it is. So, I mean, my first thoughts, I don't know if you've gone back. I mean, we both have spotty Lynch film histories, both of us. So forgive us listeners. But my first gut reaction was the direct lineage between this new form that the man from another place has taken and uh, the baby from Eraserhead. Like the way it talks, the way its head kind of moves is so similar. It's. Kind of odd because it is a CG creation and I'd say at least in terms of capturing Lynch's imagination, I have to imagine this is entirely his design. I would be shocked if it's not or if it's not a production designer very close to him trying to pull inspirations out of other Lynch films and so forth. The the way it moves tracks with that. Also... You get the direct callbacks to Firewalk with me. Uh, I am the arm, and I sound like this. But it's got the weird fleshy, like flower brain mouth now, so it can't make yeah. the sound. So disturbing. You see the electrical pulsing. So you you see that you can start to make the connections with the power lines and the electricity stuff that we got from Firewalk with me. But you're not going to get much more out of it than that. But you are going to get cryptic messages and the message that Cooper can leave now if. Bad Cooper comes in. Holy shit. Let's talk about Laura. Let's talk about Cheryl Lee.
1: Oh, yeah. She is just back in prime form. She, I think, is wearing the same dress that we see um, her wearing in the Red Room before. She's delivering some messages to Cooper. She kisses Cooper at one point. That Mm -hmm. was a very drawn out scene that I was not paying attention to as closely as I could have been. Because we've seen um, Laura, you know. Lock lips with Cooper in the red room a couple of times at this point.
0: Yeah, played out very similar. That was one of those scenes, though, where like if you just kind of squinted, they looked like how they did back in the 90s to me. Oh, um, yeah. It was nuts. Laura says that she is Laura, that she is dead, pulls her face off, revealing this yes. unearthly or heavenly light, whatever it may be, If you however you want to interpret it, I guess. The way I interpreted it, if you watch with captions, uh, while she's... Leaning over Cooper, there's just a someone saying, Whisper, very quietly. But that's all you get in terms of capturing for that. Mm-hmm. She pulls back and screams and is kind of like launched or like pulled out of the room. And that's when the curtains all start to billow. You see the white horse. Yes. All that stuff, which is totally new to the lodge. Is 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 Laura leaving the lodge that way? Is she contributing something to help cooper get out i don't know but like it it seems like that's going to be something that we if we don't revisit it's going to be one of the most like necessary to think about scenes in terms of figuring out this red room lodge stuff
1: yeah absolutely um and a lot of what we get in the lodge is just kind of very firewalk with me ask in terms of cooper kind of exploring different rooms and different avenues um and it's familiar and yet we're exploring these new venues in a way and the black lodge in a way seems to be expanding or contracting or taking on like new forms and new structure um and cooper's been there for 25 years
0: the the really disturbing thing to me i mean it's the whole lead up to the doppelganger scene um it was disturbing enough to see him open up the curtains and it's south dakota and you can see bad cooper driving in the distance just to know that yes we are saying coordinates and all that and all the secret history twins peak stuff there are openings elsewhere is huge but the the statue thing i didn't catch on to the statue thing closely enough like This goes back to the benevolence of Mike and Man from Another Place or the arm, the tree, the brain tree. The fact that the doppelganger is going to try and hurt or hinder Coop. But then early on uh, before this, we see sort of this hazy doubling effect of the of the Red Room Mm -hmm. and the, the two images kind of swirl around each other and they create this this sort of phasing pattern with the floor which was just yes. like an entirely new way to film that space. Also the sweeping shots over the floor, an entirely new disorienting way to film that space. Those were both huge stylistic surprises that I loved. But mm-hmm. I, when the doppelganger reveals himself and sort of attacks Cooper, and then we actually see the floor start to shift. Yes. I was just like completely in it. I was That was the moment when I was like, I think for 25 years or for however long people have been like big fans of the show. Once you get deep enough in, you start to think you have an idea of how the red room works and like what could possibly be Cooper's exit. Mm-hmm. And then a, a scary thing that has replaced Michael Anderson, uh, has just shape shifted out of being a statue screams at Kyle non-existent and the floor opens up and swallows mm-hmm. him. And you're just like, oh, no, I I don't know anything that could happen next. This is all fresh and exciting.
1: Right. And this is when this storyline, the Red Room storyline, seems to converge with the New York storyline. We see that Cooper seems to have kind of, you know, appeared in the glass case. Um, and there is a lot of I don't even know how to really describe what happens to Cooper in the black case. Black or the the glass case seems to be moving back and forth or expanding back and forth. And Cooper's in there. Um, and by the time that Sam and Tracy are back, he's gone again. But we know Cooper is traveling somewhere in space and time at this point. The
0: the moment we see him get sucked back in and just kind of the close up blurry shots and there's all this kind of like inky speckled mass swirling around him that's the other part that felt very much like it was drawing on David's uh like painterly like instincts as opposed to his and I'm not saying that they're even separate that's why you can kind of have this transference but like it felt like it was drawn out of the other art that he does and and made possible maybe by the production value or maybe by his just development as an artist. And it was one of the most like affecting things to watch. It was like, th- that was also one of those parts that like I was just sweating. I was just like, what is going on? What is going to happen? I'm so invested in this.
1: Yeah. And it's, I have no idea where Cooper is going to go next. I don't think it's going to be as simple as he appears in Glastonbury Grove and Hawk happens upon him you know, I don't feel comfortable guessing where the series is going at all. It's already surprised me in so many ways. And I'm just excited to be along for the ride at this point.
0: Yeah, exactly the same.
1: Do you want to note that, you know, the credits indicated that Angelo was back doing music um, for this iteration of the series as well. Obviously super exciting. I love the fire walk with me soundtrack. I listen to it all the time. Um, But interestingly, the only time where we kind of hear a familiar theme and it's not the um the strings overture we hear the kind of mischievous percussive music when we're opening on the las vegas storyline which seems significant to me because otherwise that storyline seemed to really have no place and given kind of the form it takes relative to um some other storylines we've seen in mulholland drive um you know, I kind of thought that the Las Vegas venue was going to sort of fade away. Um but I'm interested in the use of that score and I think potentially we're going to see some more from it. I'm not I'm not 100% certain.
0: I think we also get a snippet of the the Ghostwood theme. I don't know what it's actually called, but the the ominous like forest music when Hawk is sort of on his hike out to Glastonbury. Like, you just get these snippets, and then the rest of the music, there's one piece with lyrics, which is, like, distorted male vocals, which was also very Firewalk with me. I think it was credited to David. Yeah, the
1: spooky music that's playing. when They have a couple of scenes where they're in the forest, and there's really just a circle of light that's kind of moving kind of rapidly and jaggedly through the forest. I was so into that spooky music. I was all about that ambiance.
0: Otherwise, the music is like pretty, not sparse, but it's, I don't know, restrained. It's kind of just thrumming. And I am I wish I knew more about music to describe it more, but it's not, you know, it's not like we just had a bunch of like new Angelo jazz compositions or piano pieces playing throughout. It was a lot of tension building music with then occasional hits of Angelo's like, more familiar to us score, which I did really like. I didn't find myself missing it. It helped the newer directions we were going in feel distinct and new. And also like at times when they needed to be really threatening.
1: Yeah. I think that there was actually relative to the original series, kind of an absence of music that I think is more like reflected in other David Lynch films. Like I said before, he likes to incorporate a lot of like mundane background noises into sort of the um, kind of oral texture of his films. Um, I think that's a lot more prominent in this iteration of the series than it was in the first two seasons, but there was the classic David Lynch lounge singer at the end of this episode, Two, Someone new, playing in the roadhouse, the chromatics is who was credited. Mm-hmm. I was very about that. You know, it sounds like an updated Julie Cruz I will be curious to see it. Yeah, I will be curious to see if we hear more from them.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not so sure uh, because there's just like a lot of musicians cited in the cast. So I I imagine we might see like a rotating, you know, a rotating act at the Roadhouse. But I, I really like that song. I was listening to it before we recorded this episode again. Uh, it's "Shadow." You can find it on Spotify and streaming services. It's like their most recent single, to sort of line up with the show. And yeah, it was really good. Uh, someone made a joke like, "Oh, look! Like, look at how many young people there are in Twin Peaks, and like this cool touring band, this like act I've known about for years is like playing at the Roadhouse." That doesn't make any sense. And it's like, you don't know that. We don't know what's happened to Twin Peaks in the last twenty five years. Yeah. For all we know, it's where a bunch of, like, young 20-somethings go to smoke weed and just, like, be in the forest, and then it becomes, like, a hot touring venue. Yeah.
1: We don't know. Yeah. I mean, Ben and Jerry could be hosting a music festival, which would be very topical.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be something else. Um, I know we said we didn't want to theory craft too much more, but I feel like we're reaching a natural endpoint for the episode, mm-hmm. and there's something we did miss talking about with the Red Room, and I think it's going to have more significance than it might initially suggest with the future episodes. Cooper runs into Leland. Yes. And Leland says, find Laura. So who knows?
1: It certainly seems like we will find Laura, but I think the question is where in the world could she possibly be or in the not world that is the Red Room and the Black Lodge and the space that those places occupy. There were two numbers that were given in the red room as significant as well. I have no theories on these. The numbers are just three digits 430, and the other one is 253. I don't know where this is going. I don't know if this is going to be another like lost numbers thing. Beep. Beep.
0: Beep. Actually, is that, well, that's more than 24, I guess.
1: I I didn't know what you were doing, this so.
0: Repetitive beeping. No, there was beeping in the in the the Swan. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's enough loss for now. And for right now, it's enough Twin Peaks because I gotta watch episodes three and four now.
1: Yeah, we'll do some quick plugs, I suppose. Yeah, we'll be back next week talking about episodes three and four,
0: or parts three and four. Parts sorry. three and
1: four. There is absolutely no clear delineation between any of these episodes, so I now fully understand why Showtime is airing the series the way that it is. So you can keep up with us on Twitter at Twin Peaks Peaks. There's been a lot of like fun convos happening on Twitter between other Twin Peaks fans um, that we've been really happy to take part in. So definitely tweet us with your thoughts. You can also find me on Twitter at Ashley Brandt. Um, And you can also listen to my other podcast, The K-Hole, a Kardashian podcast. Um, Honestly, I have the intro for that one down very smooth. You should listen and see how smooth my intros can actually be.
0: I mean, not as smooth as ours, but I imagine it's also pretty good, right?
1: It's pretty good. I'm going to say that.
0: Well, I'm Matthew Olson. You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Olson. That's M-A-T-H-E-W-O-L-S-O-N for all of you who aren't already following me, which is maybe a lot. Who knows? New day. New new episodes of Twin Peaks. That still, still kind of feels weird rolling off the tongue. And I do a show called Can You Get To That with my friend Caitlin Best. It's a Wikipedia racing podcast. It's kind of funny. We go on tangents. If you like the tangents, I go on. And that can be found. It's at Get To That on Twitter. You can find it at canyougettothat.simplecast.fm. If you're interested in hearing more of my really sage literary analysis, let's say, similar to the wonders I work here... (laughs) Uh, You can listen to a show I did last year called Finite Jest, where me and my friend Alex, we talked about Infinite Jest. It's a mini-series, but the episodes are very long. So be warned. That's it for me.
1: All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Tune in next week for more of Twin Peaks' The Return. I don't know if this sign-off line is going to work, so I'm going to say that it's a sign-off line before I say it. Oh, wait. I mean,
0: I can just set you up for it. I mean, Ashley... Do you have anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Any Anything you'd like to say to them that they can mull over?
1: It could make a difference.